0: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and our
1: economy. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colours they fly should be careful about criticizing those who have.
2: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing.
1: Good afternoon. I'm Ewan Potts at Conservative Party Conference in Manchester. Now, it's the penultimate day of the party's first in-person gathering since the 2019 election. Dominic Raab, Briti Patel and Sajid Javid are all in action today. Yesterday's conference was dominated by Rishi Sunak's speech. It was an optimistic speech by the Chancellor, but he did speak of the need for tax rises to pay for the rebuilding of the country while not building up any more debt, something he called immoral. The party is keen to get on with the agenda that it was elected on, the levelling up agenda it was elected on 18 months ago, more than 18 months ago. But there's a realisation among people I've spoken to that time is really ticking on that.
2: Well, Boris Johnson's been touring the studios today, talking about his plans for getting the country back to work and looking ahead to his keynote speech to conference, which he's making tomorrow.
1: But he was forced to admit that the UK has so far received only 127 applications from fuel tanker drivers wanting to come to London. The UK said it's open to issuing up to 5,000 short term visas to plug critical gaps in its labour market. Now
2: we're nearly at half term for school children in England, completing the first section of what teachers and parents had hoped would be an almost normal year after so much COVID disruption. For university students too this is supposed to be a time of mostly in-person lectures and tutorials rather than the distance learning many had to get used to last year. But COVID hasn't gone away and there are plenty of critics of the risks of the back to normal push from the government. Well I spoke to the Secretary of State for Education, Nadim Zahawi who's at the Conservative Conference in Manchester and I began by asking him if pupils could expect
3: this to be a normal school year. That is exactly um, what we are uh, doing. That is exactly what we're delivering. 99% uh, of schools are open, and I have to pay tribute to uh, the great teachers, but also the teaching staff who've made that possible. Um, And, of course, uh, we are uh, shipping out uh, CO2 monitors to schools. Um, 300,000 will go out to our school uh, system. And uh, I have, as of last week, uh, reassured uh, both the students and teachers and uh, universities and, of course, further education that the exams are back. Uh, but we're also very aware that uh, the current cohort of young people going through GCSEs and A-level exams have had you know, pretty substantial disruption to their learning. And so we're doing a two-step process in terms of grading. Uh, Offcall have looked at this very carefully and they reassure me that's the fairest way of doing it um, uh, for this year and for next year to get us back to the rigour of pre-pandemic days because Ofqual as a regulator is world-class and has a reputation around the world uh, for uh, examination rigour. Yeah.
2: Clearly, there is a big gap to fill and we 'll come on to that in a moment because a lot of very disadvantaged children out there, as you know and young people. but can I ask you in the more specific terms, you say you want to obviously to provide a normal year of education, but you have to have contingency plans we don 't know what could happen, for example, is it possible that children might have to wear face masks in school again
3: So the important thing to remember is obviously um, I was previously the vaccination minister and we 've had very high rates of vaccination. Uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, It's great to see the uh, school-age vaccination program really begin uh, to move forward now. Um, Of course, there's a lag time as we, uh, in different schools, get parental consent once they've had all the information available to them, but that's really beginning to uh, uh, move forward. And of course, at university as well, uh, the university sector reports very high levels of of uh, vaccination uptake, almost touching 90%, which is great to see. Uh, And you have to plan for contingencies. You're absolutely right to ask the question. We have a contingency plan. At the moment, my my absolute focus is to protect education, because actually, if you look at what Rachel D'Souza, the, the Children's Commissioner, with her big ask survey, half a million children responded to it. And actually, they want to be back at school with their friends, learning, interacting, They've had, you know, actually, they've been pretty resilient uh, uh, as uh, young people uh, having to deal with a global pandemic. uh, But also, you know, some some really interesting nuggets of of data from that half a million uh, uh, young people survey around mental health and the support they need, which is why we're putting another 17 million pounds into the additional support that we provide both at school and uh, digital one-to-one counseling so uh, you know a big task we do always plan to have contingencies that's the right thing to do but at the moment uh, i'm confident that we're in a good place because teachers and teaching staff and support staff are doing a great job
2: okay okay so uh, there obviously are plans in place, and, and, and maybe masks might be amongst them. I mean, obviously, it depends on the circumstances. But let me ask you about building up the, 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 the lack that there has been, because the young people have had a very difficult time, as, as you said. Is it time to perhaps shake up the ways in which schools work? I mean, there have been reports that perhaps SATs tests could come back at age 14, that teaching hours might not be limited in the way they have been. Is it time to look at radical measures to deal with this huge uh, deficit, really, in terms of education?
3: So we've put three billion pounds to work on the recovery program uh, and you have know, two elements of that is obviously the uh, uh, tutorial and the, the, the uh, tutoring program uh, that we have introduced um, you know it, it, it used to be the sort of the the um, luxury of uh, parents who have their children in the dependent sector and wealthier parents but actually we're making it available to all parents and that is you know doing well the schools we're doing more on teacher training um and the prime minister said that you know we will continue uh, to push hard on this to make sure we recover both in primary and secondary and uh, 16 to 19 education uh, before the end of the parliament and so i will follow the evidence i my success in the vaccination program has been to be evidence-led and we will do what it takes to get that recovery before the end of the parliament
2: all right, let me tackle you on something else because uh, the Labour Party last week had their conference and one of perhaps the standout thoughts there, or certainly one that caught of attention, was in terms of addressing the difference in private schools and state schools and suggesting that there could be ways of perhaps ending the charitable status uh, of private schools as a way uh, of raising money and to some extent then equalising what many people have seen during the pandemic that that the private education kept up in a way that state didn't would you countenance perhaps changing uh... the, the situation with pro- with with private education and perhaps taxing it more
3: well this is where i think Keir Starmer sometimes gets this wrong because he goes for a knee-jerk you know uh, headline without understanding the, the the underlying evidence below that if you recall he wanted us to pause the vaccination program and vaccinate teachers when i could demonstrate to him and his mps that actually the nhs Uh, will deliver the vaccine program much more efficiently if it follows the JCVI because they know your age and your address uh, 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 and that is the best way to do it rather than pausing and trying to discover who's a teacher, who's an assistant in a classroom. I think this applies again in this headline uh, grabbing uh, policy if you put out the independent sector if you put them out of business uh, because they rely on the charitable status to be able to continue to do the work they do and of course to, to uh, fund a number of you know very good bursaries they are very much part of our portfolio education in the UK part of the ecosystem now they are not my my priority my priority is to make sure that the maintained sector the brilliant um, multi-academy uh, family of schools uh, that have done really well. How do I scale them up and get them to do more? How do I continue the academization journey uh, for uh, primary as well as uh, secondary? Um, that has to be the priority. That is where you know, the, the 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 majority of young people are being taught in our country. That's a better place. If I put out a bunch of independent schools out of business, those parents will have no choice but to come into the, the uh, maintained sector and put more pressure on the system. That is not a good idea in my view, nor is it a good use of time. The most important right. thing is to make sure that the, 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 the largest part of the system, which is the, the, our brilliant uh, schools uh, and teachers and t- sports staff in the maintained sector, continue to be empowered to do their job properly.
2: Secretary of State, let me ask you about higher education. We've been talking mainly, of course, uh, about younger people, but it is vital, and they also have had a very difficult time. There was a story out uh, about 10 days ago suggesting the government was considering changing the point at which the uh, students, ex students, graduates, repay their loans from 27,000 down to 23,000 of their earnings. Any truth in that?
3: Well, you'll remember that uh, Philip Orger. Was- Uh, did a really excellent piece of work, a a big review uh, uh, across the education ecosystem from FE and HE and uh, the question that we would have to ask ourselves and again I go back to being evidence-led and information and data and transparency is going to be my ally on this journey is higher education needs to deliver what it does brilliantly and we have a world-class higher education system in the uk we get something like 600,000 students even in covid times coming to the uk international students to, to do their studies but you know are there courses where these you know young people are taking on debt that do not deliver the sort of life chances and the happiness and a byproduct of that is higher wages of course for those young people uh, and that is the, the 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 question that I will challenge the sector with, and I will look at obviously the rest of ORGA. We've, uh, we've uh, implemented some of the Olga recommendations, yeah. but I will look at the rest of it. And I, we won't do anything without consulting with the sector, of course.
2: Right. So at the moment, there are no plans, at least, to change that that basis of, of the repayment.
3: Well, I will look. I, I, I I'm looking at everything that that Philip Olga has has done, and I, and I will that that element of higher education is something that I'm looking at as well. Can I ask you a general question to finish with Secretary of State, which is, is it possible, do
2: you think, in, say, the next five years, to address the kind of deficits that the pandemic has built up? I've taken on board, you talked about the amount of money you're putting in, but these are things that are going to follow people through their lives. This period of their lives will follow them because of the difficulties they've had with getting the education they need. Can that be addressed?
3: Yes, I I think it can. The evidence from, uh, if you look at the tutoring programme, we're putting about 1.4 billion of the 3 billion that I spoke to you about earlier in the interview uh, into the tutoring program we're, and we're seeing good results i'll see the first um, uh, proper evaluation in november on this but early data we looked at 100 schools is looking pretty good so i'm confident that we can do it in this program.
4: success is more than a destination it's a path you take one step at a time
2: Now, let's uh, have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Eco-activists are facing new ASBO-style court orders that are going to ban them from travelling around the UK to mount disruptive protests. The Home Secretary, Priti Patel, is going to unveil the new criminal disruption protection orders targeted at protesters such as Insulate Britain, who've evaded injunctions and used loopholes in current laws to cause traffic chaos. And the Culture Secretary, Nadine Dorries, has questioned whether the BBC will still exist in a decade in the face of competition from streaming services. At a Telegraph fringe event at the Conservative Party conference in Manchester, she was asked whether the licence fee would still be compulsory in 10 or 20 years. She asked if the BBC will
1: still exist in 10 years, and she said, I don't know. The home of slave abolitionists who fled to Britain from the US after escaping slavery in Georgia is to be commemorated in a blue plaque. Ellen and William Croft are famed for carrying out one of the most ingenious documented escapes in the history of American slavery. They lived at 26 Cambridge Grove, a mid-Victorian house in Hammersmith, after arriving in the country in December 1850. They made a dangerous 1,000-mile journey from Georgia to Pennsylvania in a bid for freedom. Well, let's go back to the Conservative Party Conference here in Manchester. The uh, Conservatives started their morning with a session called Building Back Better for Women. How the government plans to create a fairer, more equal country for women. Of course, the issue of women's safety has been thrown into the spotlight with the horrendous murder of Sarah Everard. Well, I'm very pleased to welcome Laura Farris, Conservative MP for Newbury, joining me here at Conservative uh, Party Conference. We'll get to that uh, very important issue first, but let's uh, talk about some of the uh, wider issues around uh, conference uh, today. Uh, the party uh, has admitted that uh, at the moment we're going through a, a period of uh, of high tax, high spend. Are you happy for the Conservatives to be to be labelled in that way?
0: Well, I think I think actually that the, the headline really is that we are the fastest growing country in the G seven after everything that we've been through and that's hammered the entire world. And we also have the lowest unemployment rate. And we're seeing, I mean one of the the, the findings of our furlough scheme is that we basically protected 2 million jobs that exist today because the Treasury was able to protect them through the furlough scheme. And, you know, the absolute foundation stone of a strong economy is a a vibrant labour market where there are opportunities for people and a growing economy so that businesses are investing and creating more opportunities. So that's the bedrock. Um, In terms of the, the, you know, the cost of living, which I think is your wider point, I would make, make the point actually that there's just been the announcement of before conference actually um, of the 500 million that's going in hardship funds to local authorities. It's something my local authority, they had hardship funds during the winter, all through the COVID crisis. They could support families with council tax. There was a local housing allowance for families who were struggling with housing costs. That's up to £600 of their rent. So the government is providing. Uh, for people on on the lowest income. but actually, I think the overall headline story on the economy is really, really strong.
2: But, but, Laura, the point in all this is you—you you represent a constituency. You're talking about it just now Newbury, traditionally Tory uh, in many ways. Uh, your constituents probably quite likely it bridle at seeing their tax bills go up to make those kind of uh, uh, of grants that the government is talking about. That's going to be a problem, isn't it? Well, I
0: mean, I don't, I don't think those the, the, the grants that were just discussed are going to affect. Tax bill. Obviously, the headline issue was the national health and social care levy, which was announced a month or so ago. And actually, one of the things that surprised me is how little kind of email traffic I've had on on the issue, because I think that the primary concern of people in my constituency, where there is an ageing population, was a really deep seated concern over what was happening to social care and also NHS backlogs. And I, I really think a priority for them. E- notwithstanding all the usual concerns about taxation was that the government got on top of those issues. Um, and yeah, and I think overall, I found it quite a collaborative conversation with my constituents rather than something that they're really upset about.
1: You represent a, a prosperous part of the south of England, leafy Newby, leafy Berkshire. It's a nice part of the world. Are your constituents happy with the levelling up agenda? Do you think that the party is too focused on the north of England and on, on poorer parts of the country?
0: Well, look, I actually think I've, I actually think that the levelling up agenda benefits the South East. I mean, one of the issues which is quite common across the South East is concerns about planning. But in the long term, proper investment and spreading opportunity to regions of the United Kingdom that haven't historically benefited, bringing investments and jobs and enabling people to live and prosper and reach their potential in market towns and parts of the world where they might not have you know, previously had that, means that... For example, housing will be reallocated on a large scale away from the South East. But there's also stuff, and I just would say, the elements of the levelling up agenda are not regionally based. And, for example, the focus on skills, the recognition that people, particularly older people actually, may have gone into jobs which are changing or which for which their skill set is no longer suitable. And the life, things like the Lifetime Skills Guarantee, I don't think it's had anything near enough coverage in terms of what it means for enabling people to kind of develop and flex their way through the labor market as they get older. Um, and also the focus on skills and training and recognizing not everybody goes to university. And, and actually for some people it's been a real waste of money, but that there are practical things that they can do to get themselves out and earning sooner. And when I, when I talk to my constituents about that, I think they really agree with me actually um, And in the early days, I didn't know whether levelling up would be almost an antagonistic phrase, but increasingly I use it when I talk to them, and they are very receptive to the points that I've just made to you.
2: Well, Laura, let me move you on, if I may, to... uh An area that I know you're very concerned about, which is the position of women, the safety of women uh, in this country, very much in focus, of course, because of what happened with Sarah Everard. Um, I mean, the latest development is that the Metropolitan Police is having an independent uh, review of their culture, as they put it. Is this kind of thing enough? Well, I think, first of
0: all, I think there are two points here. It's... Really important to pause and reflect on the gravity of the crime that was committed against Sarah Everard, but it was also an exceptional crime, and that was reflected by Lord Justice Bulford in, in delivering a whole life tariff to Wayne Cousins. But what's emerged through that is that there is some evidence of a what was a, some evidence of misogynistic attitudes that have existed elsewhere, and there Dame Cressida has. Uh, committed to getting an independent inspector to conduct a review into the workplace cultures, uh, I actually think that's a very positive thing to do. Um, uh, you know, when 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 people ask, I have been asked before actually whether that's enough, but that's what any organisation who's facing a, a significant issue around a kind of, of that type of issue, I'd expect them to do, and I would hope it was concluded actually fairly swiftly because it seems to me that there's already some pretty visible red flags. And i hope this will not take too long and actually that there can be an action plan in place pretty soon.
1: Priti Patel has uh, a lot on her plate. There's always a big uh, inbox at the Home Office. Do you think that women's safety is near the top of her agenda?
0: I'm absolutely confident of it, actually. I know Priti. I've had conversations with her publicly and in the chamber and also privately. And, um, well, I, I think I could probably say this. There was a group of backbench MPs asked to see her on the day of the Wayne Cousins um, sentence. Um, She's immediately made time in her diary and we're going to be talking to her about some things that we're concerned about and we want to raise with her. And that's absolutely indicative, actually, of what, what, what she thinks about women and girls. Um, the rape review the the strategy on violence against women and girls all those practical implementation measures what she expects from the police what she expects from the cps what she expects to see in terms of rape conviction rates she's all over that and i think it's i really think it's one of her primary areas of commitment
2: But Laura, a lot of people think that neither the government nor the police actually get it in terms of the way that women feel walking in the streets at night. I mean, some of the suggestions that came initially from the police, you know, waving down a bus if you feel threatened, it seemed almost ludicrous and even insulting. I mean, how would you feel about being advised to wave down a bus if you felt threatened while being stopped by a policeman?
0: Well, actually, I'm going I'm I'm to agree with you on that. I don't think that was helpful advice to give. And I hope that we'll see, I think, you know, as the days and weeks develop, I hope we'll see better messaging on that type of issue. But I would actually like to make one point about women's safety in the street. And it's true that back in March, when Sarah Everard disappeared and when it was discovered what had happened to her, it, pro- it provoked a wider conversation about the safety of women and people, you know, talking about their day-to-day experiences harassment, feeling unsafe at night, sometimes that materialising into something more sinister or or, 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 or to being attacked and, and one of the things, just for example is the Safest Streets Fund that was announced, uh, just announced this week with a £25 million commitment behind it and that's got a number of elements to it but one of them, which is actually really, really effective and it's worked in other countries, is that you can report an area uh, that you live as being unsafe say poorly lit or somewhere which would normally form route that you would take you can record it on an app and um, you can share other people are able to view that information and most importantly the local authority will have the funds to go and put in say cctv or a street light so basically it, it gives local residents the opportunity to identify what's happening in their neighborhood to make that information publicly available and for local authorities to act and i think that's a really important element of it and i think we're really particularly focused on the kind of we always use the expression the nighttime economy but I think we have to be realistic that a lot of violence against women and girls is, is targeted at younger women and the particular vulnerability is at night and you're and when you're young you're much more likely to be going out regularly anyway and so all the kind of fun and thinking in, in, in relation to that particular aspect of it is about keeping them safe at night and I think that's a really important step
4: Bloomberg Westminster
2: listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London